Welcome to episode 28 of Define Normal. This week I'm joined by Sam. We're talking about his journey of being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, his treatment, and how it impacts his day-to-day life. After hearing Sam's story over the 4th of July weekend, I was really excited to have him on the podcast. I essentially just want to get into this conversation to normalize living with a chronic illness, how it's treated, how it impacts your day-to-day, and what it's like, what's the story there. Also just hearing more about how Sam's navigated this process. So Sam, I'd love if you'd introduce yourself. Welcome to the podcast, by the way. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I'm Sam. I'm 27 years old. I live in Cleveland, Ohio, and I am an ileostomy patient, which is probably definitely was an unfamiliar term for me two years ago, even really a year ago. So thanks again. Thanks again for, uh, um, it was actually nice, you know, I, I met you for the first time on the 4th of July weekend this year. So thanks for the quick turnaround and getting me on here. Yeah, of course. When I heard your story, I just was, even beyond the contents of you telling your story, just as a person, how vulnerable you are with the group and like willing to answer questions. Because admittedly, like I'm sitting there, we're, we're at Amanda's Lake House and we're sitting there and I'm like, my friends are being so invasive right now. <laughs> like they're asking you such specific questions and you were like, no, 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 no. Like, so happy to answer anything. Like you were taking it like a champ. And even after it said like, no, it doesn't bother me. Like, love having these conversations. So that stood out to me because there's a lot to share here that would be helpful for other people. And I also just loved like your spirit of openness. Yeah. Amanda, you know, been a lifelong friend of mine. So she's got no problem asking me questions. Yeah. You know what? I have no problem talking about this. It was something that came into my life out of nowhere and I really had no choice. And so if I could help one person with any advice that I can give, or if they have questions, I've had people reach out to me after some social media posts about this. Yeah, you know what, I've, I've decided to be as open as I can about this because it turns out a lot of people have digestive or stomach problems and it's a very scary thing because from my experience, just going to different doctors and, and what have you, they don't really know too much about it. <laughs> my sister has IBS and that's really the extent of any stomach or digestive problems that have, I've been exposed to. I, I live like this. I, I, I live a different way than I used to. I, you know, I, I want to help people as, as much as I can. So yeah, I've, I, I, I'm super open about it and I've got no problem discussing it. I love that energy. Assuming that not all the listeners are familiar, can you talk a little bit more about exactly what you mean by stomach issues? Like what was the diagnosis and what were the symptoms of that? Yeah, so I'll kind of walk you through my journey. I won't be as graphic as I normally am because it is... <laughs> It is graphic to an extent. So what happened was is I had no idea about ulcerative colitis. I had heard of Crohn's disease and they're kind of cousin diseases, I guess I would explain it. But I didn't really know too much about that because it's something that didn't affect me or my family or friends. And so there was no real need to learn too much about it. And then it kind of came out of nowhere. So I turned 25 in the summer of 2019 in late June, right around this time, two years ago, mid-July, end July. I started noticing that there were some problems with, and I'll just be straight up, I had diarrhea, which any normal person gets. You eat crackers, you drink water, you chill out for a bit, and then it goes away. Well, mine wasn't going away. It was about six or seven weeks of this before I decided, okay, something might be wrong. Let me go get checked out. Like I said, my sister has IBS, and so she had a doctor that was local a gastroenterologist that was local. So I called, made an appointment, I went in, explained my symptoms, and she decided 
that it was best if I get a colonoscopy, a scope. Wasn't super familiar with that procedure either because I, you know, 25 is pretty young to have that happen. And so scheduled it. I went through the prep. The prep for it was much worse than the actual procedure. And I went in. My mom was there with me because obviously you're under anesthetics and you can't drive yourself home afterwards. But I, essentially I woke up. It was probably a half an hour to 45 minute procedure. I woke up and the doctor, my, the gastro was presenting me with pictures of that she took from the scope and essentially said, you have chronic ulcerative colitis. And I had no idea what that was. I had no idea that it was something that I'll have for the rest of my life. And I really had no idea how to go about, you know, hey, how's my life going to be different? Am I going to be on meds? Am I going to, you know, am I going to have to, you know, sacrifice social events for this? Or, you know, what what's going on? Like, how do I do this? And so she essentially, she gave me medication. So the first medication I was on was an oral medication. It was called mesalamine, which I think is the uh, it's the generic name or the brand name of something else. I can't remember. That worked for me immediately. And essentially, I'll backtrack here. Ulcerative colitis means that I had inflammation and ulcers that were forming in my colon. Um, from my understanding, Crohn's disease is inflammation throughout the entire digestive tract or it could be in certain spots. Ulcerative colitis is really focused on the large intestine or the colon. There was inflammation, there were ulcers, and it was causing me a lot of pain, causing me to go to the bathroom frequently. And what the oral medication did was it suppressed that inflammation. Almost immediately, within days, it went away. I had a normal life. I, I wasn't going to the bathroom as often. It was, it was normal. I didn't even really notice it. And then what happened was that was the end of the year. I was diagnosed in September of 2019. The new year came. So January 1st came and I was still, I was 25. So I was still with my parents' health insurance. Their deductible obviously was not met once the new year hit. And that medication was like 400 ish dollars for a 30 day supply, which was, you know, ridiculous compared to just any other medication that normal, you know, you would normally take. And so we switched. I switched medications. The rest is kind of history. For the rest of 2020, I struggled to find a medication that worked for me. The scariest part, you know, one of the hardest parts about dealing with this is the doctors will tell you, hey, try this medication for so long, four months even at the most, to see if it really works for you. And so you don't know if it's going to work for you for an upwards of four months, which that's a long time to feel like nothing is working. Certain medications, I think one of them was called sulfazolazine. That gave me horrible headaches, made me feel like I had the flu. I was on a number of different other medications. Balsalazide was another one. And in between me switching medications, they gave me an oral steroid, and it was called prednisone. Prednisone worked for me. The medications that I was trying did not seem to work for me, but the prednisone did. However, the side effects is weight gain. You break out more, especially your face and my back you sweat more, you know, there's, there's, there's those side effects, but I was, I was in a, such a bad spot that I didn't care about the side effects. I just cared about feeling better and the prednisone helped me feel a lot better. And then I went through a period of time last fall, maybe right around a year ago from August until like Thanksgiving of last year. I was okay. I was kind of in remission a little bit. I was okay. And, and that's the, that's the thing about ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease is no matter what you do, you could always be in remission or you could always have a flare-up. And a lot of people think that it's it, your diet has a lot to do with it. 
your you know getting healthy amounts of sleep has to do with it your workout schedule things like that but that really doesn't have that big of an impact with ulcerative colitis being you know quote unquote an invisible disease people don't understand that people don't know what you're feeling if i had like a broken arm or something it would be easier for people to see that and understand okay he has a broken arm you know this must hurt or he can't do this when people look at me they can't see that i have ulcerative colitis and so the advice that I would get from my friends and family would be, you know, maybe you should rest more. Maybe you should not think about it as much. Maybe you should change your diet. And I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't have any resentment towards them for that advice because they don't understand that it's, it's not, I can't sleep it off. I can't eat better to help it. I can't work out more. I can't just not think about it. You know, like I said, people don't fully grasp it because they can't see it. And, and you're kind of, unless, unless you're talking to somebody who has it or has been through it. You don't really, you know, it's you feel a little bit alone, and that's kind of how I felt. And so I would try medications, and I would try sleeping, and I would try eating better, and none of that worked. In around August of last year, I started Humera, which I'm sure you've seen the commercials. It's for all, it's for ulcerative colitis or Crohn's or arthritis, and you inject yourself in the thigh once or twice a week, or once a week or once every two weeks, depending. And that I tried that, and that didn't seem to work for me. Really, let me let me backtrack again. Uh, Ulcerative colitis is an autoimmune disease. What happened was is the my, my body's natural reaction to fighting off, you know, infections when you have a cold or when you have the flu, it started attacking my healthy tissues, my healthy cells in my colon, like uh, a civil war, really. And and the result of it was, oh, I've got this these ulcers and this inflammation in my colon that came from my own body attacking itself. Nothing, I, it, It's crazy. There's nothing I could have done leading up to that that would have helped that. It's one of those situations where it's a, just a hand that you're dealt and, you know, now it's time to react to that. What can I do to get better? I have this for life. What can I do to get better? And I know I kind of played off like it, it was it was easy, but it was not an easy pill to swallow hearing, hey, you have ulcerative colitis and it's going to be with you forever. And I was 25 years old at the time and I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really know. It was hard to hear that. It didn't really set in for a few days or weeks even of like, hey, I really have this forever. I have to, this has to, you know, remain a top priority for me, for my health. Skip forward. Now we're now we're back in August of last year. The, the Humera didn't work for me. And then things really started taking a turn for the worst around Thanksgiving of last year. I remember um, a week or two prior to Thanksgiving, I started getting, I started flaring up again. And the symptoms of flaring up are similar to you feel like you're you're getting the flu, body aches, sweats, chills, that kind of thing. I thought it was I didn't know if it was COVID or not, right? And that was another scary thing to have to go through as well. And then Thanksgiving happened, and right around there, and I started getting really sick. The meds weren't working. I started taking steroids again. Those weren't even working for me. I tried two two different kinds of steroids. I can't remember the name of the other one, but Neither budesonide, yeah, budesonide is what it's called. That and prednisone, those were not working for me anymore. I had bought a plane ticket in early December to go visit one of my best friends in D.C. I had to cancel that. I didn't leave the house for holidays, for New Year's, for Christmas, for even Thanksgiving. I couldn't leave the house because I couldn't. There's no, I mean, there's no bathroom in the car. When I needed a bathroom, I had, I had quite literally 10 seconds to find a bathroom, or things were going to get out of hand. <laughs> And that's just the reality of my life. Like I said, the advice I was given was you can't can't barricade yourself inside the house. It's not good for your mental health. Well, it's like, well, 
I'm not inside my house because I want to be. I'm inside my house because I have to be. I wasn't holding any nutrition. Like I said, I was going to the bathroom upwards of 15 times a day, waking me up in the middle of the night. I would sweat so much when I slept. It was it was disgusting how much I would I would sweat. I had bought plane tickets to go visit my sister out in Denver at the end of January, and I had to cancel that as well. And that's actually an important date in my life. So it was January 28th, 2021. Now we're now we're in this year. I was supposed to be boarding a flight to go to Denver. However, instead, I was literally checking myself into the emergency room. Two days prior to that, I called my doctor. I had switched doctors at this point, and now I'm at the univers- university hospitals in Beachwood, Northeast Ohio, and called her and I said, listen, I am so sick. Nothing is working for me. The steroids aren't working for me. Essentially, I was like, what do I do? What do I do? Right. And she said, nobody can judge your, you know, the level of misery or agony that you're experiencing. And if you feel like you need to go to the emergency room, you can, you should check yourself into the emergency room. And I said, okay, sold. So I went to the ER on January 28th as they were taking my vitals and, and things like that, they had asked me how much I weighed. I remember two months before that, eh, around Thanksgiving, a little bit before that, I'm, I'm about five foot 10 and I weighed about 182 to 185 pounds, depending. And I figured I'd lost a little weight because, you know, I was sick. And so instead of like the normal 180, 185, I said, I don't know, 173. And I stepped on the scale and I was 159 pounds. Wow. And I haven't been 150-ish pounds since high school, you know? And it was it blew my mind. And that was really the holy, you know, holy crap, I am sick. I, I didn't realize I was this sick. Because you see yourself every day. You don't notice those changes. They hooked me up to an IV. They gave me fluids. I was extremely dehydrated. I normally have like pretty decent veins. And they were, they, you couldn't even see them because I was, I was so dehydrated. They gave me steroids through the IV. Which is a, you know, which is a stronger, more direct source of the steroids, and that actually did suppress some of the inflammation for a little bit. They admitted me into the hospital. It was the first time I had ever spent the night in a hospital. I don't recommend it. I woke up Friday. I met with a nutritionalist. I met with a GI. I met with some nurses. I met with a surgeon, and the doctor essentially told me the GI, the, the GI doctor, who was not my doctor. It was just a GI available on Friday morning at whatever time. He said that my next steps, if I wanted to stick with trying different medications, were to was to do infusions. And what that means is I would go to the hospital every six to eight weeks, and I would sit there for two to four hours at a time while they infuse or they inject the medication directly through an IV. And tons and tons and thousands of people do that. And he also mentioned that it would take up to four months to see if that was going to work for me or not. And if the first one didn't, I would try another one and then another one. And I was thinking to myself, I cannot live like this for another four months. And it actually turns out that I probably wouldn't have, and we'll get into that in a second. But I met with a surgeon. And prior to going to the ER, a couple days before that, I talked to my doctor on the phone and I said, can you walk me through or can you advise me on, on the surgery that could happen because my first doctor, back when I was diagnosed, she said surgery is a last resort option. And of course, obviously the doctors want you to try medication and not do anything permanent. And if that worked for me, great, 
right? They don't want to just go straight to the surgery because there are other options that work for people. And that wasn't the case. Surgery was not a last resort option. The doctor who I was with at that point at university hospitals had said that there are people that she's worked with who who found relief with medication that still decided to get the surgery because they were tired of taking medications or it was too expensive or you know what have you they have their own personal reasons so prior to meeting with the surgeon she had ref my doctor had referred me to this surgeon and so I kind of knew a little bit about her doing my own research before I met her and I talked to her for probably an hour hour and 15 minutes in my in my hospital room and that conversation that I had with her I will always remember it changed my life she didn't come in there and say hey, I'm going to operate on you. She came, she came in there and gave me the statistics and the facts of what she was, what she would do, how it would affect me, how my essentially how I would get my life back. I would get my life back because my quality of life was so low. I since because of COVID, I had worked from home all of 2020 pretty much and even even though my my bedroom and my office are the same room, there would be days where I had to call off because I I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't sit in a chair for eight plus hours. I, I just couldn't do it. My quality of life was so low and I decided that I was going to get the surgery. I was going to, I had done a little bit of research on the operation before the surgeon had spoken with me. I also met with a nurse. It's a stoma nurse, which if you're unfamiliar, a stoma is what I have now. And it's about an inch, inch and a half of my intestine that is sticking out of my stomach. So... It's called, they call that a stoma in the medical world, and so there's a specific nurse for that. I also spoke with her, and this was Friday the 29th, and my surgeon was like, we can get you in Monday, in three days, to do the surgery. And I said, eh, I don't know if I want to do it that quick. Can we push it out another week? And she said, yeah. She said, I'm going to send you home. Can you suffer through this for one more week? And I said, yes. I went home. I discussed with my family that, hey, this is what I'm doing, and it was frightening for them to hear that because I'm, I'm the oldest of three and, and you know to have a 20 something year old kid go through life-changing surgery I don't know what that I don't, I'm not a parent I don't know what that would be like for them to hear you know it was it was tough kind of getting that across because they just didn't I mean truthfully they, they didn't understand and I didn't really you know what I was I didn't really know I didn't really understand either right it was a decision that I made to try to better my quality of life and my health and look i mean fast forward six months to where we are now i'm super glad that i did it and we'll get to that as well did it feel like a bit of a last resort like you were saying in the beginning that you tried all these different type of medications oral medications, steroids and did the surgery at the time feel like okay i've literally tried everything even with the risks like i kind of must do this y yes and no the infusions may have worked for me i don't i don't know if they would have or not however my doctor and the surgeon did tell me that since at that point the steroids had stopped working for me, it was less likely that any other kind of medication was going to work for me. Um, so that aided in my decision. But my mindset was this. My mindset was, listen, I was told at 25 that I'm going to have this disease for the rest of my life. Even if I'm on medication, even if I can manage it or you know get it under control, I'm going to have it for the rest of my life. And... The reason that that was important to me is because the surgery was a for-life decision, right? And I'm still young. I mean, I'm 27 years old. I have a lot, knock on wood, I have a lot of life left. And 
while this is a permanent decision, so was having colitis. And I didn't choose to have colitis. And it quite literally was ruining my life. It was. And so this was a way to feel better. Yes, there could there could uh, be complications that arise from this. Yes, I'm going to have a different way of living and a, and a whole, I'm quite literally wired differently than I was. But you know what? This is going to make me feel better. That's what I cared about. And so there were a number of factors. Um, it wasn't a last resort in the sense of like I could have tried infusions, but it felt like a last resort because of the fact that they said, you know, steroids don't work. The chances are that the other medication doesn't work. And I didn't I, – I was not in a position where I could continue to feel like this for much longer, truthfully. And and I'll, and I'll get to that because, you know, it, there, there's some scary information that I learned Monday, February 8th, the day before my dad's birthday, happy birthday uh, to my dad. I, I went in for a, I got there at like 1130 or so for like a one or 130 procedure. I remember just in the prep room, the surgeon came up to me. She was like cool as a cucumber. Like it's, I mean, it was literally another day in the office for her. And for me, like yeah, for me, it was like, you know, yeah, exactly. Life changing. And so she was talking a lot because I was nervous. Right. But she just walked in. She like just had her lunch, like washed her hands. Like she was just like another day. And I'm like, how do you do that? Like, how do you wake up and do this? I went to the OR room. They just they they stretched my arms uh, to the sides of me, like straight out, and put some stuff on them, like th- this this material. I don't even know what it was. And then next thing I know, I'm semi-conscious, and there's like a nurse that's like almost like it felt like it felt like two or three inches from my face kind of like screaming and she was like the surgery went well everything looks good you're doing great and like i'm still super dazed right because it was like a two two or two and a half hour procedure so you know it was a lot of anesthetics and so i'm totally out of it and the rest of monday is a total blur i i'm sure i spoke to doctors and you know the people that i needed to but i don't know how much of the information i retained but tuesday the next day was really the first day of the rest of my life and that may sound cliche, but it, I woke up with a, a whole new way of living. Um, it's not just a whole new way of going to the bathroom. It's literally, you know, it's it's a whole new way of of conducting my, you know, my life. I had to learn a lot of different things. So I woke up and I was an ileostomy patient. And what that means is I'm heard, I'm sure everyone's heard the term a colostomy bag. Colostomy bag is technically not what I have. I have an ileostomy bag. A colostomy bag. The difference is, is like I said earlier, the stoma, the part of me that is on the outside, that could be that could be made, that could be part of my colon. That would be a colostomy bag. Since I don't have a colon, it's an ileostomy bag. They took the, she removed my entire colon, which the your appendix is attached to the end of your colon. So they also removed. There was a kind of a two for one, right? <laughs> and she was just telling me a little bit of details about the condition of my colon post-removal, the normal colon is about five feet in length. Mine was so inflamed that it was roughly seven feet in length. The surgery was done laparoscopically, so they just make a few small incisions and quite literally pull your intestine, your colon, out of your body. And it's about an inch and a half below my belly button and to the right of my body. So it's on the lower abdomen on my right side which is typically the spot that they they do this. She sent my organ off to the lab, and when she got the results back, this is kind of where it got a little scary, 
for me as if I wasn't already scared waking up and with a whole new way of doing things. I think about this. I think about these words that she told me to this every day. I think about it at least once a day. What she told me is that normally the lab results indicate mild or moderate ulcerative colitis. Mine came back as severe ulcerative colitis, which I kind of almost figured because of how bad I was feeling, but you know, you never know for sure. And then what she said was, is I had the beginning stages, and this is going to sound like a made up term, but it's not. It's called toxic megacolon. I don't know who named that, but what that means essentially is your colon starts to perforate or tear. If it tears, you, it, it well, it, it obviously causes extreme pain, you know, a, a huge chance of infection. But if it tears, you need emergency surgery at that point, right? Now, and this is what she told me. She said that type of emergency surgery has a 50% survival rate. And she doesn't know how long, she doesn't know how far out I was from that potentially happening. Like I said, I had the beginning stages of that. So it could have been a week. It could have been a month. It could have been six months. She doesn't know. Nobody's going to know. It turns out the, the quote unquote elective surgery that I had was not so elective after all. She told me that the statistic as I was laying in my hospital bed, and I didn't really have time to process that because I was obviously focused on other things, but I think about it every day. I think about how, had I waited, had I tried the infusions, had I given medication, you know, another shot, I might not be here. I might not. I mean, I was diagnosed in September of 2019, and a year and a half later, my whole colon is getting removed. I mean, the emotions that I felt when I was when I was sick, I didn't I didn't know when it was going to stop. I didn't know what it was going to do, or you know, I didn't know what I was going to do, how I was going to handle this, and the emotions after waking up, hearing, "Hey, man, you could have died on this on an operating table had you waited," was just it, it's it still blows. I mean, six months later, not super long. It's not six months isn't a super long time, but still. Uh, you know, I'm just super thankful that I got ahead of what could have been a horrible situation. So much to unpack here. So <laughs> first of all, I have just like a few questions. You talked about this a little bit, but like, how are you feeling during all this in terms of like physically, obviously you feel terrible, but you're in your 20s and you're young and you're missing trips to visit your best friends. You're missing a trip to Denver to see your sister. Like you can't go anywhere for the holidays. Like what was that experience like? Was it isolating to have a moment where you're just like, no one really gets what I'm going through and I just have to be alone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, like I, I, the only quote unquote people that knew what I was going through were just the stories of people I read online, right? And you don't know them. So I was going through this alone. It was very hard. My, like I said, my quality of life was so low. I was mid 20s, supposed to be having, right, the best time of your life, right? And I was indoors. For months, for uh, two months at a time, I had my roommate. I had to go get me groceries. I couldn't if if I didn't have people over my house, I didn't see people. It was it was so hard. It, it, I felt like you said isolated. It's a good word for it. I felt so isolated, and I'm not the kind of person. I didn't want to let my disease control me, but it absolutely was. It was. And I think that's important to note because I think I I mean not speaking from experience, but just observation, I think that's one of the hardest parts about it. Like you're physically going through something, but you're a young person and you're like, I want to be out doing whatever the normal things are, hanging out with my friends, like going out and about. And it's like, I can't. I also wanted to ask, like when you're talking about 
the surgery and your path there, what was it like? Like, what was the recovery process after surgery? So you got surgery. You're kind of nervous about what's going to happen and, and the doctor's being like as cool as a cucumber. But like, what was your recovery like? And did you immediately feel better? My recovery, it wasn't great. It wasn't a walk in the park. To answer your question, did I feel better immediately? Yes and no. Yes, I woke up and for the first time in two months, which it's it's a long time when you when you go to the bathroom 15 times a day. I didn't have to go to the bathroom. For the first time in two months, I didn't I didn't have to run to the bathroom. So I felt better in that regard. But I didn't realize the physical and mental hurdles that I was going to have to overcome. So I was so focused leading up to my surgery. I was so focused on this lady is going to make me feel better. That's all I care about. I'm going to be able to feel better, and everything else after that is just details. I can I can figure things out, right? And I did. You know, they they cut your abdomen open, so your abdomen is super sore. Anytime I laid on my back, I felt this this hole in my stomach because I was literally missing an organ, and it's it's crazy, but the body does adjust to that. So that was you know four weeks of just being in pain it hurt to walk it hurt to sit it hurt to stand and I was on some I was on a lot of medication after the surgery I was on blood thinners so I don't have a blood clot I was on pain medication I was on different medication that had to do with cramping after I ate things like that I had to eat small meals because essentially your body has to start working a different way and so you have to give that time and so my my food and and my waste wasn't passing through my colon anymore it was going through my body right up until the colon now it has to you know come out so it's a different way for your body to operate and it needs to adjust to that but what i really did not focus on was the mental hurdle that i had to get through to get to where i am today i went through my disease alone i went through surgery alone and then i'm going now through recovery alone i had my friends my family um, I stayed with my parents for three weeks, so I had some support. But I was actually doing some research, and I was reading a story of a woman actually in Cleveland, ironically, but she was going through this, and she disclosed that her therapist had told her that when you lose a body part, whether that's an arm or a leg, or if it's an internal body part, your brain goes through a similar grieving process to that of losing a loved one. When I read that, I completely realized that that's what I was going through. In the beginning, I would look at people and I would say, I wish I could lay on my stomach. I wish I didn't have this bag. I wish I could use the restroom like normal. And that was my mindset. I, oh, you know, you're grieving. You are. You, you miss it. You, you know, you miss your colon as much, as little as we think about that on a day-to-day basis. You miss it. You miss those kind of things. And and then really around like week four of after recovery. My doctor gave me a six-week timeline. She said, around week four, you're going to start to feel better. Around week six, you're going to start to feel really better. And around week four, my mindset kind of changed where I went from, oh, I wish that I wasn't like this or I wish that I didn't get this disease. Of course, I wish I didn't get this disease. But now where I'm at is I'm accepting of it. I'm accepting of this is what I had to do to get my life back. Whether or not I like it, I have to deal with it. And so I try to turn it into a positive situation where I don't look at people and think, oh, I wish I didn't have a bag or I wish I didn't have to wear this thing on my stomach all the time. I don't, you know what? I don't wish that because 
the the more time I spend on wishing that I was better or different or normal, quote unquote, the less time I have to focus on how I am now. And you know what? I'm like I said, I'm 27 years old. The people that I associate with are very supportive of my situation. I require a little bit more patience, right? I require, I've got medical supplies that I have to always carry with me. So I have to bring book bags into restaurants or I have to bring book bags into sporting events because if something goes wrong, I have to be able to change it. And it's just, it's, a, it's, an, it's an adjustment that I had to make, but it really comes from a, a strong mindset in, in that getting over that mental hurdle. You mentioned that when you were first going through this, you were kind of going through it alone. Not literally, you had the support of family and friends, as you said, but no blueprint. No one had, a, no one who had gone through this with you. And you also just mentioned uh, the woman who said when she was going through this, it was like, okay, her therapist pointed out that it's almost like you're mourning the death of a loved one. What resources did you use and what communities did you find to find support? Were you like in Reddit threads? Were you just like, Googling blogs, like what were you doing to find more information and, and also like community? I did a little bit of research on the internet of just, hey, you know, living with a, a bag or I would watch a couple of YouTube videos where people would post, you know, how they change it and how the supplies that they use that work for them and things like that. But I didn't really, I didn't really reach out for more support than that. I wasn't on Reddit. I wasn't in blogs. I wasn't, I just kind of got through it. I'd like to expand upon that, but I just kind of got through it. I mean, I, I woke up every day with, okay, I'm going to change my bag today or my at-home nurse. They gave me an at-home nurse for a couple weeks. She's going to come today and we're going to talk about how to get better or what I need to do. And I kind of just figured it out. I really did. I kind of just figured it out on my own. And I've, I've applied twice now to be a volunteer with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. They have yet to get back to me. It's been a few months. I don't know if it's a COVID thing. I don't know if they're just not accepting people right now or whatever the case is. But I want to be like an advocate for this. I've posted on my social media, on my Instagram a few times regarding, you know, kind of a little bit about my journey. You know, the first day I went back to the gym after my surgery, I made a post of like, it's hard to think that 40 days ago I was here and now I'm here. And I've had a few people reach out to me in my DMs that say, hey, thanks for sharing your story. I'm going through something similar or, hey, can you answer these questions for me because I think I have blah, blah, blah. You know, I've had some personal friends that knew I was going through this that thought to reach out because just yesterday I met up with a friend who I haven't seen since October. And he was like, I'm glad you called because I'm going through something similar and I've got a colonoscopy scheduled. And so like, it's amazing to me that how many people have some sort of digestive or stomach issue and don't talk about it because they don't want to either, they don't want to annoy their friends or family, or they don't want to talk to somebody who doesn't fully understand. And so if I could spread awareness through talking to you right now, or even, you know, through my social media, I would love for people to reach out because if I could help, like I said, if I could help one person with this, you know, that's, that's my goal. Yeah, I think that's awesome because it needs to be normalized a bit. I mean, even as we get older and we're not old, we're in our 20s. I have so many friends who are like, I have stomach issues. If I eat gluten, this happens to me or I have IBS or I have Crohn's. Like it impacts a lot more people than you would think. And it's like one person speaks out and then other people feel a little more comfortable talking about their journey. Now I just have like a, a few random questions. One of them being, as a result of your surgery, are there certain things you can't eat? Do you have sensitivity to foods? Like, how did this impact your relationship with food? Knock on wood, zero. 
So Zero. going through recovery, there are certain things I can't eat. I couldn't eat seeds or nuts or corn or really vegetables or try to stay away from carbonation, um, spicy food, you know, the typical stuff like that. Knock on wood right now and for the past four or five months, I can eat and drink whatever I want and I am on zero medication. Amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. But that just kind of further proves my point. What I said earlier is that like people think like, oh, you have to eat better or you have to eat differently because it won't affect and, and IBS and gluten allergies and things like that. Those are different. It's a different category. Ulcerative colitis being an autoimmune disease, it wasn't affected by what I ate. And that was the advice that I was given from people who haven't gone through this is, hey, eat better. Hey, eat differently. And it's like, you know what? That's not a factor. It's not. I Right now, I try to eat healthy just for general health, but I could eat and drink alcohol. I can drink alcohol. I can drink carbonated drinks. I can drink anything. I can eat spicy food. I can eat seeds, nuts, those kind of things now. I can, I can do anything. I can eat anything I want. I think that's an important clarification because often when anyone brings up any digestive issue in any category, that's often their response. Like, you need to just eat better. You need to do this. And it's like, it is an autoimmune disease and you didn't, your diet didn't land you here. It's like, it was a bit inevitable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think a lot about what happened before you were diagnosed with colitis? Because I think what's interesting is like, this isn't something you lived with for the majority of your life. So you remember a time, it wasn't long ago, where you weren't sick and it wasn't impacting you. So was that part of like the, you talked about earlier, how you had to kind of like go through this mental exercise of like, all right, this is how life is now. Like I'm not going to be envious of people. Like I'm accepting that this is how I am and it's a new normal. And you seemed grateful just to feel better, but did for a while you mourn the version of you who didn't have colitis. No, like you said, I am happy to be here. It's kind of been my motto since I heard the news of, Hey man, you, you might not have been here had you waited much longer. So happy to be here is kind of my whole my whole motto at this point. But do I mourn the life that I had prior to this? I mean, was it easier to not have to worry about a bag or medical supplies? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's no denying that. But I don't have the mentality of, oh, I wish I had the quote-unquote normalcy of using the bathroom that I had prior to being diagnosed. I don't look at it that way. I just look at, okay, this is where I'm at now, and it doesn't matter what I had before, the way I had it before. That, that doesn't matter. Yes, of course, I wish I didn't have this, but I don't sit here and get upset or let it affect me thinking, oh, I wish I was like I was before. It's For me, it's about how am I doing today? How am I going to be tomorrow? And what does my life look like in the foreseeable future? That's kind of the direction that, that's where my mind goes, which I think is good for me because I have no choice but to focus on how my situation is right now, right? Right, it's healthy to think that way. It's the ideal way to think, and oftentimes people revert into like, oh, I wish it was like this, but it is healthier for you to be like, I want to help people, I want to build awareness, and this is my new reality, so just like, I'm happy to be here. Like, let's just keep going. When people are forced into facing something that they put no thought into or had no experience prior, it's amazing how you can react to that. Because if you put me back before I was diagnosed and told me that, hey, I'm going to be living with a bag in two years from now, I would have reacted differently than being forced into it all of a sudden. And you like, that's just the situation. You just, you, you move on with life in any way that you know how. And this is my new normal. I've spent the last four or five months post-recovery 
adjusting to it. And now I go to the gym. Now, I, now I go out with my friends. Like I saw you at the, at the lake house and we had fun and what have you. I do everything else that other people do. And I'm, and I'm doing everything else that I used to do before this. I just have a little bit more maintenance and require a little bit more patience from the people in my life. But that's it. I don't look at it. It's not a setback for me. It's, it's the only way that I, I can be healthy. And that's, that's what it is. One more question for you. If you could give any advice to someone who is just diagnosed with colitis, what advice would you give them? And also, what is something you wish you knew at the beginning of your journey? Yeah, I'd like to expand upon that question a little bit because yeah, before people are diagnosed with colitis or Crohn's or any other sort of uh, digestive disease, the most important advice that I can give for people who think – like my friend yesterday who think maybe something is happening or why, you know, I'm feeling a little bit sick. You need to listen to your body because your body will tell you every, your body will tell you what's wrong. It will. It doesn't just hurt for no reason. It will tell you what's wrong. You just have to listen to that. And by listening to that, I mean, go get a colonoscopy, go get an endoscopy, go get your scopes, go get your, go get something figured out. Let the doc go to your doctor, your GI, take their advice and get scoped. And yes, it costs money, but that's what insurance is for. You need to figure out because you can't just sit on doctors. It, from my experience, it's hard. They don't know a lot about digestive diseases or issues. And so any information that they can gather from you, the better. And so you can't just sit on a digestive problem and hope it goes away because it may not go away. And so my advice for those people in that spot where they're like, eh, maybe just go get scoped and go figure it out one way or the other. Advice for people who have just been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, I'm assuming those people are, you know, starting medications. Here's the thing is the doctors will tell you to give your medication time. And while that's true, you also have to listen to your body during those times too, because I took medication for a while and it wasn't working for me. And so you have to listen to your body in that regard too. If you find something that works, continue to do that if you can. I'm not going to sit here and say that everybody with ulcerative colitis should get the surgery that I, I got. But I also would suggest that if, if life is – if your quality of life is as low as mine was and you will know it, trust me, then you need to take action because it's your life. It's your health. Straight up, I had my parents – telling me that they didn't want me to get the surgery. I had the opposite of support in that regard, but it, d it didn't matter to me. And of course, I don't want to make my parents upset. I'm very close to my parents, but it's my health. It's my life, and you need, to, you need to take your life seriously. And another piece of advice I would give to people who were just diagnosed is it's not – It's like I said, it's an invisible condition. It's, it's an invisible disease, and so it's likely – that the people in your life aren't going to understand what that's like. They may offer, like I said, advice, like just eat better. If anybody needs support or an ear or some advice, I'm always open. My DMs are open. I can, I'm not afraid to give out my phone number, that kind of thing. So I want to be a beacon of like, hey, I can talk to Sam because he's been through this and maybe he has some advice. Now to answer the last part of your question, something I wish I knew going through colitis pre and post-surgery. I wish I would have been more prepared for the mental aspect of it because while it is a physical disease and that's what the doctors focus on is managing the physical aspect of it, it's not easy to manage the mental aspect of it too because it, ha it takes a toll on you. When I mean I felt absolutely hopeless 
during, especially during those those three months ish where I was really sick, felt hopeless, and that's not a good feeling. On top of feeling physically sick, so it's important to to take care of your mental health. It's important to take care of your mental health anyway. It was especially important for me to take care of that while also going through something physical as well. That's all really good advice, especially the last piece of just like paying attention to your mental health. And I think something you said earlier that stood out to me too, is just like listening to your body. Like we all know when things are a bit off and it can be hard to, for some people to go to the doctor, oddly enough. Like so many people are like not into going to the doctor. Like it's fine. It's fine. Like until they're tragically ill. So I love that idea of just also listening to your body and, and making sure you check in on how you feel. Yeah, people like, that's a great point. People are afraid to go to the doctors because they're afraid of what the, the news is. But here's the reality of things is whatever the news is, whatever the bad news that they tell you is, that news is there anyway. Wouldn't you rather know so you can get in front of it? I probably had ulcerative colitis before I got diagnosed, right? The disease was in my body anyway. And so why sit on that with no professional help as opposed to getting diagnosed and then dealing and then reacting to that diagnosis, right? So go to the doctor, get your procedures done, get your scopes, get get something figured out so you have a plan and a path of, of going forward. Thank you so much, Sam. This is awesome. And I encourage any of the listeners who would like to reach out to Sam to do so. If it's okay, Sam, I'll put your Instagram in the info of the episode. Yeah, put my Instagram, my Twitter. Anybody can reach out that way if they have questions or anything of the sort. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Define Normal. If you like the episode or have any feedback for me, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Define Normal. See you next week.